Hey, everybody, it's Matt. As we kick off this episode of Growing Greater, let's thank the team at Independence Blue Cross. Their mission, it's to build healthier lives for you and your family and for employees at companies large and small. And the commitment that the professionals of Independence Blue Cross have to their mission, it shapes their actions and their decisions every day. At Independence, they see each of their members as an individual with unique needs and concerns. Their team is dedicated to harnessing the very latest ideas and technologies to deliver access to care that meets those needs and surpasses customer service expectations. Learn more about Independence Blue Cross at ibx.com. That's ibx.com. And join me in thanking Independence Blue Cross for their support of this podcast. This is Growing Greater. Growing Greater. Bringing you the stories of economic growth, job creation, and business success from across the 11-county community of northern Delaware, southern New Jersey, and southeastern Pennsylvania. Now, here's Matt Gabriel. We have to do more than just improve the education that takes place within the four walls of a school. We have to make sure that when those kids leave that school environment, they have the tools at home to be able to continue to learn. And that is internet connectivity. Delivering impact, helping others, leading by example. These characteristics capture the spirit of how David L. Cohen lives his personal and professional life. Today, David is an executive with one of Greater Philadelphia's top corporate citizens and one of the world's leading technology, entertainment, and content development companies, Comcast. The impact that he and his teams have delivered over his nearly 20-year career with Comcast, it's remarkable on several levels, and it's defined in part by an approach that's built around inclusivity and innovation measured risk-taking, and generosity. In this special episode of Growing Greater, we connected with David in front of a live audience at Comcast headquarters for an in-depth conversation about his life and career, including his role helping then-Mayor Ed Rendell shape and deliver a new vision for Philadelphia, the launch and expansion of Comcast's Internet Essentials program, the impact his family has had on his life, and so much more. Let's head to the 42nd floor of the Comcast Center in Philadelphia for our special conversation with David Cohen. Good morning and welcome to the Comcast Center. My name's Matt Cabry and I'm privileged to lead an organization called Select Greater Philadelphia. For those who may not be as familiar, but hopefully most of us are, right? Select Greater Philadelphia, we are the business attraction organization for the 11-county neighborhood of northern Delaware, southern New Jersey, and southeastern Pennsylvania. We call it the neighborhood, and we encourage all of us to also refer to it as the neighborhood. And we're thrilled that you took time out to join us this morning to be part of our podcast recording. We call it Growing Greater, and it's all about telling the stories of innovators and entrepreneurs and business leaders and business success and economic development that's happening in the greater Philadelphia region. So, folks, please give a warm welcome to David L. Cohen of Comcast. David, thank you for joining us. Really appreciate it. 
So I do want to back up a little bit, David, because I'm a kid from West Philadelphia. I grew up in Overbrook. And as a result, and many of us who did grow up in the greater Philadelphia region, you know, we have this passion for greater Philadelphia. You've developed this passion for greater Philadelphia over your time because you're actually not native to greater Philadelphia. And I think that surprises a lot of people. Actually right. Well, like Ed Randell, I was born in New York. Unlike Ed Randell, who was born and raised in New York, I moved to suburban New Jersey when I was very young. And I'm, you know, I'm a product of a normal suburban New Jersey lifestyle, Central Jersey, Middlesex County. Yep. You know, then I went on to Swarthmore College. I'm, I say that because Swarthmore, although it's in the Philadelphia suburbs, I mean, part of its beauty is the suburban feel of the campus. And I didn't live in Philadelphia until I was in law school. Right. I mean, I was in the Philadelphia area. And I I don't know what it was that gave me a passion for Philadelphia and for cities before I was working for Ed Rendell. I mean, once I worked for Ed Rendell, I spent six years in the grit, grime, and glory of Philadelphia and everything that Philadelphia is. And, you know, the famous line of Ed in one of his major policy speeches that there is a vibrancy that comes from being in a city. Yeah. And it's just, you know, you can have the nicest suburban community in the country and it's just not going to have the feel, the feel of the people, the feel of vibrancy, the feel of action and activity that you can get in a city like Philadelphia. And so that's the hook. Yeah. And there's no doubt that I've been hooked. Yeah. And it is on Philadelphia, but it is also in all cities around the country and I appreciate your comment because I think one of the things about cities and one of the things about my service with Ed Rendell and one of the things I love about my job at Comcast is the ability to affect people's lives. And when you're dealing with this in an urban setting, there are two quote-unquote advantages around that. The first is there is a density of people so that anything you do that has an impact in the community is impacting a lot of people. And the second, and this is, I don't want to even call it an advantage, but it is an advantage to accomplishing that objective, is that among that density of people is there is a very large density of people who could use the helping hand and who could use the help that they get from a city government, from a corporate citizen like Comcast, from our business community, from the people in this room and the companies that they represent. So that's how that all fits together in the puzzle of my mind. Yeah. I want to dive into that concept in just a moment. But before we do, David, I want to get to what I guess I would call the seed planning elements of this. And if you're comfortable with this, I'd love for you to take us back to Middlesex County and the Cohen household. And those seeds that were planted clearly by members of your family, whether it your parents or your grandparents or extended family and siblings, first of all, share with us, how many siblings do you have? How big was the Cohen household? Right. So I had and have two siblings, a brother and a sister. Mm-hmm. I'm the oldest. My sister is in the middle. My brother is the youngest. And when I was growing up, I had all four of my grandparents. Mm-hmm. They continued to live in New York. And I think the way I describe my family, that, I mean, there was political activity in my family, no surprise. My father's father, my grandfather, was one of Thomas Dewey's closest friends. For those of you under the age of 50, you may not know who Thomas Dewey was. He's probably most famous for a photograph and a headline in the Herald Tribune where he is standing on a stage 
with his hand raised that says Dewey wins. Right. Unfortunately, Dewey lost, <laughs> which is why that headline is so. But he ultimately was governor of New York and actually appointed my grandfather to the bench. He was his last judicial appointment before he left office. So I can't say I didn't come from a family where there wasn't some political activity, but it's nothing like the political activity in my current household. Right. And if I were to describe my family, both my grandparents, my parents, I came from a family where there was an enduring belief in social justice. And some of it came from our religion, we're obviously Jewish, mm-hmm. and there was a big focus on charity and giving back to the community. But there was a big focus on sense that today we might call diversity and inclusion. Right. But there was a big focus on the need to make sure that everyone in our society had an equal opportunity to do what they wanted to do and to succeed. And there were just dozens and dozens of those kinds of lessons when I was being brought up. And again, my grandparents believed in it. Right. My grandparents, by the way, were born in the United States, so they were not immigrants. But they just believed in a fundamental value of this country, of equality of opportunity and a real equal justice message, which was drilled into me from my earliest years. And I still hear it from my father. My grandparents are all deceased and all of Rhonda's and my parents are deceased other than my father. But I still hear it from my father, who is always most interested in the things I do around corporate social responsibility at Comcast and not the business side and the financial side of the company. Right. I love that dad's still with us. How's he doing? So my father's doing amazingly well. He was just down for Thanksgiving. Nice. He's 92 years old. And, you know, like a lot of people of that generation, my mother was his whole life. They were married for over 60 years when my mother died a few years ago. And we were all worried the impact that that was going to have on my father. If you think about someone whose life, entire life was defined by family, and in particular by his relationship with my mother, we were very concerned. But he's doing fine. I mean, I think he misses my mother every day. But he still lives in the same house I was raised in. Wow. In Highland Park, New Jersey. Yeah. Four stories. He has a personal mission that at least twice a week he's on every floor because it, it <laughs> That's takes a good him, goal. Well, because he wants to make sure he can still navigate the steps. Yeah. I mean, it's like his exercise. So, yeah. I mean, I lived on the top floor of the house. He has nothing that he would have to do up there. Right. But once a week he gets up there just as he says, I look around the room and I can report to you that I made it up to the top floor. Right, right. And so he's all there mentally. Yeah. He's... 92 years old. He's a little weaker, but he's doing very well. I love that determination that he embodies of getting, you know, as straightforward as for where he is in his life right now. To get to every floor, that determination is key. And I'm using that as a kind of a metaphor for your determination in life as well, for sure. good determination genes. Yes, that's for sure. (laughs) As determined as my father is, my mother was really determined. (laughs) She was really determined. I have to say one other story, which is a lesson I've taken for myself. So Highland Park is a small community in Middlesex County, 13,000 people. I mean, my father has lived in that community now for 60 years, 60 plus years. Yep. And what has been amazing, when my mother was alive, but in particular after my mother died, is to see the way in which the community is pulled together to support my father. And what is 
in reflecting on it, partly at my mother's funeral and afterwards, I realized that my father has no friends his age. Hmm. And it's not because he wasn't friendly when he was right. grandpa. All his friends his age have died. Right. He's like the last survivor of this. And my father's friends, and they are real friends, and they are close friends, are my age and even a little younger. Right. He's like lived through two generations of people. And like, you know, our next door neighbors are two of his best friends. Father went to Rutgers, graduated from Rutgers in 1947, is a mega Rutgers sports fan. Right. The husband of the family next door is also a Rutgers sports fan, and he calls my father the morning of every Rutgers basketball game or football game and say, do you want to ride to the game? Nice. And he's younger than I am. Yeah. I mean, the neighbor is younger than I am. And so the importance of this for my father and my mother as they aged is something that has not been lost on me. Yeah. And I think for those of us that are of my generation and younger, paying attention to older people in your community, certainly pay attention to your parents, but beyond your parents and your family, there's sort of a generational responsibility yeah. that I think we have, and I see the way it plays out naturally and without any formality of program for my father, and it's caused me to make sure that I'm going to behave in the same way toward older people in our community and make sure that I can help provide a sense of attachment and camaraderie. Right. And just because somebody's 30 or 40 years older than I am, getting harder to be 40 years older than I am, <laughs> but 30 years older than I am doesn't yeah. mean that I can't have a friendship. Yeah, they, right, and a connection They're interested yeah. in the same things I'm interested That's in. That's right. And just having someone to talk to about it is something that is life-affirming for them and makes my life more interesting, too. And there's mutual benefits there, for sure, yep. on both sides. David, I want to shift. I'm a big fan of milestone moments. And I want to start this next kind of thought by sharing with you how beneficial it has been for all of us and for Greater Philadelphia that you made a choice in your life, a milestone moment, to select Swarthmore as your college. And I'd love for you to take us back to that kitchen table conversation you had when you were a junior or senior in high school about how you ended up at Swarthmore. Right. So everyone thinks I'm so thoughtful and careful and <laughs> smart and deliberative. And, you know, choosing college is sort of the first thing you do as an adult without your parents or without your parents telling you what to do. So you would think that that experience would actually tell you something about me. And it's sort of, I think it does, but it's sort of embarrassing what it tells you. Right. So true story, when I was junior in high school, I decided I wanted to go to Amherst. Figured that was my choice, so I applied early decision to Amherst. Okay. I did not get in early decision. I was deferred, which was devastating for a day. Yeah. And then I got over it, and I said, they don't want me. There are plenty of other schools out there. And then in typical overly compulsive David with a pretty good academic record, I applied to 18 colleges. Right. <laughs> and that's the time you actually had to have separate applications. Right. There was no common app. And you had to pay an application fee yeah. for every application. My college counselor is telling me, what are you doing? <laughs> I mean, you're going to get into all but three of these for sure. So I got into all but two of them. Right. The end of the day, and I get home, my mother, it's a time you get envelopes and it's in the mail. There's no online moment. Right. And so you get home, my mother has like an armful of envelopes 
And she said, I haven't opened any of them. I said, good, they're not addressed to you. <laughs> she said, but they're all thick, which, of course, was the, that was the sign that you got in. Because yeah. You had all these papers. So I start opening them. And obviously, Swarthmer was one of the thick envelopes. And one of the thick envelopes was Amherst. Ah. Because Amherst admitted me. Right. They didn't admit me early. And right. They admitted me. And my mother, we were sitting at dinner and we're talking about it. My mother and father said, so this is so great. You can go to Amherst. And I looked at them. I said, why would I go to Amherst? I said, well, it was like your favorite school for like a year. You applied early. Because they didn't take me. I'm not interested in going right. there. You can toss Amherst to the side. Right. So then it was a choice of what was closest to Amherst. So I small school, not in the city. I loved Swarthmore. I did no research, no real research. I didn't realize. Yeah. By the way, I was a registered Republican at this time in my life. My parents were registered Republicans. I mean, Thomas Dewey was a Republican. They were, you know, Louis Lefkowitz, Nelson Rockefeller Republicans. Okay. I was a registered Republican. I didn't do any research to realize that next to Berkeley, Swarthmore was the most radical, right. today you would call progressive, <laughs> right. the most radical, democratic, liberal college in the country. You fit right talk in. About, talk about a misfit <laughs> right. of, of going there. But I love the campus. It was a fantastic school. Yep. It was sort of closest to Amherst, so I decided to go to Swarthmore. Nice. What yeah. kind of a thought process was that? Yeah, that's great. Well, David, I do half joke about this that you know it was to our benefit that your course in life brought you to Delaware County, brought you to greater Philadelphia. And I want to fast forward because I often actually tout this really, that the resurrection, the renaissance that we experience in greater Philadelphia started in 1991 with the Rendell administration and the belief that Mayor Rendell and you and your administration had in Philadelphia that others, frankly, didn't. You guys saw something in such a positive and optimistic way. It was infectious. It was contagious. Those seeds started what we're now realizing today as a better Philadelphia. Well, I appreciate your saying that. I'm going to push back a little bit in saying that this is the genius of Ed. I mean, Ed saw something in Philadelphia, saw something in the people Mm -hmm. of Philadelphia that was just not generally known or believed. There was a cynicism about our city and a cynicism about our citizenry and what they cared about. There was a huge cynicism about the business community Mm -hmm. and whether it really cared about the city. And Ed didn't believe any of that. And he made me believe that Philadelphia was a unique city with an unlimited future and he made a whole team of people come together and believe that. And I, I mean, for me, I've said to Brian Roberts, I mean, I've loved my job at Comcast. I love my job at Comcast. Been here almost 20 years, and I hope he won't be insulted. But for my entire life, the best job I ever had was being chief of staff to Ed Rendell. Yeah. And helping him to achieve his vision and to help him to build a team. Same thing at Comcast. It is the team of people. That makes all the difference in the world. It's ironic. I had a fundraiser for Joe Torcella, mm-hmm. who's our state treasurer, last night at my house. Joe was a part of that team. And we brought together probably 20 people who were in the Rendell administration mm-hmm. at this time. It's like a mini reunion. And you sort of look around the room and you see the talent that is in that room. That At the time, the young talent that came into the administration, people have gone on to big, significant, consequential jobs in this community, and I remember 
on the farewell party when Ed was leaving the mayoralty, a few people pulled me aside and they said, you're going to disclaim this, but as we look around this room, what you and Ed have done, and I interrupt them, but Ed has done, is said, no, what you and Ed have done, this is Philadelphia's Camelot. Right. You attracted the best people in this city who never would have thought of going into government to come into this government and to help to turn Philadelphia around. And again, that was Ed's genius, something he gets credit for, yep. but he doesn't get enough credit for his ability to inspire, to recruit, to attract. And by the way, not only inspire his staff, inspire the business community. Right. Because the rebirth of the business community and its commitment to our city started with Ed Rendell as mayor. Yep. And he convinced them that there was a future for this city, a future worth investing in. I can't tell you how many times I sat in meetings where Ed would yell at consultants who had brought in, who were showing spreadsheets mm-hmm. about how it was uneconomic to locate or expand a business in Philadelphia compared to other markets. And he would yell at the consultants. He said, I can't argue with your numbers. I can't even understand your numbers. But there's no heart and soul in your numbers. Right. And it's the heart and soul of Philadelphia. It's the heart and soul of the people in our city. It's the heart and soul of your workforce. It's the commitment of your workforce to your company that is going to make a difference, and you can't put that on a spreadsheet. And he would turn to the executives and he said, shame on you mm-hmm. if you allow your business decisions to be made by a bunch of numbers. Right. This was his passion. This was his skill at convincing people, including Philadelphians, about how special we are, about how special our city is, and it is the most enduring legacy of the Rendell administration. There would be no select that's true. Without Ed Rendell. Yeah. Because there'd be nothing that the business community would want to get behind to sell. Right. And That's to true. market. And improve. And, to, yeah. and improve and to attract people to come and enjoy the same benefits that people are already in the city are achieving. And so all the records, the accomplishments, the balancing the budget, the buildings, the convention center, right. new stadiums, those are all physical legacies of Ed Rendell. But the spiritual legacy, the legacy of believing in our city, of coming together, of committing ourselves to growing the city, to selling the city, to do what would now be called to engage in a strategy of inclusive growth, where we would grow our city and not leave any neighborhood or any citizen in the city behind to provide an equality of opportunity for everyone in the city to enjoy the benefits of the growth and the expansion of the city. That's what Ed stood for. That was his passion. That's what he was able to articulate better than any elected official in history or since he was mayor. And that is what continues to fuel the growth and the success of this city. Without a doubt. And I want to reflect on some past, but I want to fast forward to where we are today, especially with the Internet Essentials Program the inspiration that you felt from a guy like Ed Rendell when he was mapping out his vision for what Philadelphia is and could be in the future. But even going back further, David, to, I suspect, the 1950s and 60s in Middlesex County, the influences of your grandparents and of your parents of being thoughtful and inclusive of others, whether you realize it at the time or not, clearly were shaping who you are today. 
And you've brought that with you to Comcast in your role leading a variety of different disciplines with community impact and public affairs and communications. And one of the real areas that is having and will continue to have such a significant impact is the Internet Essentials Program. Tell us a little bit about how that all started and where we are today with Internet Essentials. So Internet Essentials is a simple story. We know and believe how important the Internet is to people's lives. It is the great equalizer. I like to say I think the Internet is the greatest technological advance in our nation's history. Yep. And it accelerates opportunity to access the world. It improves the ability to do homework, to look for jobs, to get access to healthcare information, to access news. You can't even apply for a job in 80% of the Fortune 500 companies if you're not on the Internet. So here it is. You've got this great technological innovation. At Comcast, we know how important it is Yeah. because... Every once in a while, believe it or not, we may have like a little glitch and we have an internet outage and like our phone lines light up. Yeah. I mean, it's like the world has ended if you don't have your internet for 15 minutes. Right. So we understand how important the internet is. And it is just a sobering thought that at the time we started this program, a third of the people in America, almost 40% in the city of Philadelphia, did not have access to the Internet. Those people were disproportionately poor. They were disproportionately people of color. They were disproportionately the old. They were disproportionately people who did not speak English as a first language. Mm -hmm. They were disproportionately urban. All this talk you hear about rural America and how we haven't built broadband out in rural America, and there are these millions of Americans who don't have broadband, and we have to have broadband expansion in rural America, all true. But the fact of the matter is there are two to three times as many Americans who don't have the Internet, even though the Internet is built out right in front of their homes, as there are Americans who live in rural America who don't have the Internet because Internet has not been built out. Right. And so Internet Essentials was our company's attempt to address what we call the digital divide, where in wealthy communities of Philadelphia like Society Hill, Chestnut Hill, 90% plus of the population has home-based internet. 95% plus has internet at home. Whereas in communities like Strawberry Mansion and East North Philadelphia, you might be talking about 30% of the people who live in those communities having home-based internet. So is the team sitting around a conference table looking at these kinds of numbers and these kinds of challenges and saying, how do we address this? Or are you being contacted by others outside the company saying, we have a real hurdle to overcome here? So we started this really within the industry, and our company was a leader within the industry. Fortunately, there is a huge amount of research that has been done about barriers to broadband adoption mm-hmm. among low-income populations. And so been research done by Pew, by the FCC. There are three major barriers to broadband adoption. One of them is the cost of the service. That's obviously within our control. Mm -hmm. One of them is the lack of access to computer equipment. Mm -hmm. A lot of these families don't have computer equipment. Even if they had internet access, they wouldn't be able to use it. But the most important barrier to adoption by a mile is this bucket of digital literacy and digital relevance Mm. skills. People don't know how to use a computer. They don't understand the value of access to the Internet. They're afraid of the Internet, afraid the government might be spying on them, afraid Comcast might be spying on them. 
So those are the barriers to adoption. So as we sat around a table and said, we want to do something, we'd like to design a program. We wanted to design a program that addressed each of those barriers to adoption identified by the research. Right. Gotcha. So we've got the discounted service, $9.95 a month. We've got access to highly discounted and subsidized computer equipment when we're not giving the computers away. And most importantly, we have a massive investment in digital literacy and digital relevance. Over the last eight years, we've invested as a company $650 million in digital literacy and awareness training that has impacted nine and a half million low-income Americans. And we're convinced that it's the comprehensive soup-to-nut strategy of Internet Essentials that has caused it to have real success where other low-income broadband adoption programs have not had the same level of success as Internet Essentials. Mm -hmm. And it's impacting not just Strawberry Mansion. It may have started a rollout in the Philadelphia market because of Comcast's presence here, but it's actually available across the Comcast footprint, or is it still rolling out on a kind of a structured basis? So from day one, and this was the other thing we did, the business looked at me like I was insane. Mm-hmm. I mean, from day one, we rolled this program out across the entire Comcast footprint. We never roll any product out across the entire footprint. We trial it here, yep. we trial it there. We rolled Internet Essentials out across the entire Comcast footprint. And over eight years, we've been able to sign up more than 8 million low-income Americans to the Internet. By the way, almost 290,000 of those people live in the city of Philadelphia. Mm-hmm. 680,000 of them live in the Commonwealth of Pennsylvania. Oh, wow. Philadelphia is the third highest city for Internet Essentials Connects. Pennsylvania is the fourth highest state hmm. for Internet Essentials Connect. So it's a national program but it's a program that has had particular success in our hometown and in our home state. It caught my ear. I hope you don't mind if I'm putting you on the spot. What's one and two if Philadelphia is three? So this changes a little. Yeah. So number two is Chicago. Okay. And number one is Houston. Oh, and interesting. That just changed this year. Yeah. Chicago been number one for seven years. Of course, my joke with Rahm Emanuel, yeah. because Rahm was a huge supporter of this program and actually I made a commitment to him as long as Chicago is number one, I would come back to Chicago every year. Right. So it's only when he left office that Chicago slipped to number, number two. two. And he, of course, when this came out, he, of course, immediately emailed me and said, we would never have slipped to number two if I was still in office. <laughs> right. You can't say that Rahm isn't competitive. Right. David, if you can, share with us a story about a family or an organization that you partner with to yeah. kind of deploy Internet Essentials and the impact the program has had. So I've got this is like a problem for me. I mean, I like to talk in stories. Yes. I'm a collector of stories, and we have so many fantastic stories in Philadelphia and out. In the interest of time, I'll tell you one of my favorite Philadelphia stories. We've actually made a video mm. about this family. Her mother's name is Delia. She is from Puerto Rico. Her son is Derek. They moved to Philadelphia. She could not afford internet. She signed up for internet under the Internet Essentials program. Derek uses the internet to do his homework. Before they had the internet in his house, he was not able to do his homework. She uses the internet for her own training. She is an English as second language teacher in the Philadelphia School District, so she uses the internet to keep her skills sharp and to continue to learn about this. They use the internet to communicate via Skype with their family back in Puerto Rico. Nice. She uses the internet to teach Derek 
Puerto Rican culture, mm-hmm. teach them how to dance, the music of Puerto Rico. Yeah. And Delia and Derek are not like people in this room, for some of your kids, the way you use the internet. You use the internet to expand your families and your kids' horizons, to enable them to see the world even if they can't travel to the world. And the only difference for Delia and Derek was that before Internet Essentials, she could not do that with Derek. She could not do that with her family. And we have thousands of those stories around the country. And I say it is both exhilarating to hear Delia's story, and it is profoundly depressing. Mm. It is exhilarating because this is exactly what this program is for. And we have learned, by the way, this year the slogan for our program is Ready for Anything. And as we travel around the country, we ask school kids, give them a card, and they say, I'm ready to blank Mm. to fill in the card. And you go to some of the poorest communities in the United States of America where kids have no advantages, where they don't have the Internet at home, and you see them fill in the blank, you know, I'm ready to be a physician. I'm ready to graduate high school and help my community. I mean, these are the things you hope our kids are writing when they fill this blank, when they fill these blanks in. And it just underscores the moral obligation I feel and the moral obligation we should all feel to bring those opportunities to every kid in this country. Because no matter what the income level of their family, no matter what their housing quality, no matter if they have a single family household where the mother works and they have to come home to daycare or be in a latchkey program at a boys and girls club, they have the same dreams and aspirations and ambitions as our kids do. And shame on us as adults if we can't figure out a way to make those dreams come true and to make them become a reality. And that's what the Internet Essentials program is all about. Derek and Delia are no different than you and I, David, and any of us gathered in this audience today, and our kids, and they have the same aspirations. And to your point, the tools that are available to them today, thanks to the Internet Essentials program, can be life-changing. And I just want to touch on this one aspect that, that you referenced that I think is really important. Your team is preparing folks like Derek and Delia and their families to maximize this tool because it's one thing to have it in your home and to your point earlier if you don't know how to actually tap into it so the educational program that is part of this internet essentials initiative is really important it's critical and by the way i should say we deliver that educational program through tens of thousands of nonprofit and governmental partners around the country boys and girls club national urban league unidos u.s big brothers big sisters right, right. oic yeah i mean i can't tell you People's Emergency Center, Project Home. Sure. can't tell you the quality of our nonprofit partners in delivering this educational training. One thing I want to say, we're both, we're members of Select, you're running Select, we're both part of the Chamber of Commerce. Yeah. I often get asked, because I speak a lot to business community audiences about this, of what's the relevance to business? Hmm. Well, here's the relevance to business. This is our workforce of the future. Totally. There's a lot of talk about educational quality in Philadelphia. How do we improve public education? Passionate believer in that. It's another one of my passion projects. But we have to do more than just improve the education that takes place within the four walls of a school. We have to make sure that when those kids leave that school environment, they have the tools at home to be able to continue to learn 
and that is internet connectivity. How can we expect our young people, if I can, go back to Strawberry Mansion or East yeah. Philadelphia to compete for 21st century jobs if they don't have the internet at home, if they don't have the same facility with the internet that my kids do or that kids in Lower Marion Township have? So this is and should be a huge business community priority to make sure that one of the great Philadelphia strengths, which is our workforce, right. which is plentiful, is also well-trained and capable of taking on 21st century jobs, and that is what Internet Essentials does. It takes this population of hundreds of thousands of Philadelphia kids and makes sure that they'll be learning how to use and that they'll become facile with using 21st century technology to be able to compete for 21st century jobs in this economy. I'm so glad, David, that you referenced that because it is about business ultimately in preparing the workforce of tomorrow as you reference. And if I could, in the short time that we have remaining, I want to reference your past service as a member of the Chamber of Commerce, past chairman, still very actively involved today as a member of the executive committee and a member of the board. What's missing, if anything, that's going to allow Greater Philadelphia and the city specifically to continue on this positive growth trajectory? So I don't know that anything's missing. I mean, I really don't. I think the business community has re-energized itself and has organized itself around a fantastic agenda. I think my words of advice to the business community continue to be that a traditional chamber of commerce used to advocate for lower taxes, lower levels of regulations, and for a business-friendly governmental environment. Mm -hmm. I think that's part of our job as members of the business community. And I think our chamber has done a great job of advocacy in that space. Mm -hmm. But we have to be bigger than that. We have to do more than advocate for lower taxes. We have to advocate for inclusive job growth. We have to advocate for job growth that doesn't leave any neighborhood or any particular population behind. We have to advocate for higher quality education. We have to advocate for internet connectivity Mm -hmm. for all of the young people in our community and all of the older people in our community who are still competing in the workforce. We have to advocate that Philadelphia needs to be the most diverse and inclusive environment for government, for business, for government contractors and for businesses who have no government contracts and who don't want any government contracts. That, that is part of what our job is as enlightened businesses trying to make Philadelphia the greatest urban area in America. And we've done all this. We have right. expanded our mission. And I, you know, under Rob Wonderling's leadership and multiple chamber chairs, mm-hmm. we have done everything that I am talking about But we need to keep our eye on the ball Mm -hmm. that it is not mission creep and it is not losing focus to take our eye temporarily off the ball of lower taxes, lower regulation, traditional business community advocacy, and focus on inclusive growth, on making sure that no neighborhood or community is being left behind, on diversity and inclusion, on educational quality for all of our cities. That's not mission creep. That's core to our mission, right. and we need to continue to focus on being an enlightened chamber, as I like to say, that can walk and chew gum. 
yeah. at the same time. Yeah, we for can sure. walk and advocate for lower taxes and for lower regulation, but we can also chew gum and advocate for a more equal society mm-hmm. and a society where no community, no population, no neighborhood is going to be left behind. It makes perfect sense, David, especially when we think about a business-friendly environment that welcomes new companies and creates new jobs for the derricks of the world who are going to be entering the workforce in the coming years as a better prepared and well-trained individual and contributor to society. So it makes perfect sense to continue to advocate for that business-friendly environment and and lower taxes. Absolutely. Yeah. David, I have two wrap-up questions for you. And I want to come back to the Internet Essentials Program first and then back to a broader kind of perspective on life and career. Where will we see the Internet Essentials Program in the next three years, the next five years, the next 10 years? We just, over the eight years of the program, we've expanded eligibility 12 times. Wow. So it started with just families who had a child eligible to participate in the free school lunch program, Mm -hmm. expanded it 12 times. This year, we announced the what I call the ultimate expansion to cover every low-income person residing in the Comcast footprint. And we define low-income very simply, anyone who is eligible to participate in any government assistance program. Mm-hmm. So food stamps, SSI, public housing, yeah. free school, national school lunch program, et cetera. So that has enabled us to expand our coverage to cover low-income seniors all in our footprint. And most importantly, I think, low-income people with disabilities. Mm-hmm. And so I've always said that Internet Essentials is not a press release program. You can't just put out a press release that all low-income people are now eligible and expect them all to apply to participate in the program. We have to build an infrastructure, a nonprofit infrastructure around these expansions and make Mm -hmm. sure that we reach out to people who want our help and who need the assistance of the Internet. And so that's our work for the next few years. We Mm -hmm. have literally doubled the eligible population through this expansion. So we've got millions of people who live in the Comcast footprint who are now eligible to participate in the program, and our mission is to reach them. And our experience shows you have to reach them more than once. Right. And you can't just reach them through advertising. You need physical touch points with elected officials, with nonprofit organizations who work with these populations in these communities. And so we're beginning the process of building up this infrastructure to make sure that we can create a reality out of this latest expansion of eligibility. In the spirit of our program, David, which is growing greater, there's a young person listening to this conversation with you. There's a representative in the audience today who's thinking about how to best navigate their next career step. But I really like that sophomore in high school or that seventh grader at a middle school who's thinking about what's next, to your point, you know, filling in that blank about their life and their path forward. You've had a lot of different experiences, and I love how you tie in the influences of not only your grandparents and your parents, but professionals in the legal community as well. And I'd love for you to share with us, what's that kind of guidance that you share with a young person who comes to you and says, what should I do next? Or how do I follow this path, whether it's college or vocational school or military service or or whatever it may be? So part of me, tongue planted firmly in cheek, would like to say that there's any sophomore in high school who is still listening to this (laughs) podcast, my best advice would be get a life. Sophomores in high school have a lot better things to do than listen to me drone on for a half an hour. But 
on, a, on at least a slightly more serious note, and drawing on my own experience, I say, first of all, there probably is no sophomore in high school who knows exactly what she's going to do right. in her life. I mean, I didn't know what I was going to do, and I changed my mind several times. Sure. So don't feel under pressure. Parents don't yell at me. Don't feel under parental pressure that you have to know what you're going to do. One of the things that drives me crazy wearing my pen hat is you know, people are applying to school, and they say, I know I want to major in political science. So I like control myself and say, how do you know you want to major in political right. science? Well, I'm interested in politics. Well, you know, you can major in philosophy if you're interested in politics, but you shouldn't feel under any pressure to make your mind up now. And certainly my hallmark in life has been flexibility, mm-hmm. is being open to other ideas. And when I, in retrospect, not that I did this, but you know, liberal arts education is fantastic. It doesn't require you to commit to anything. Right. It just broadens your horizons for four years. It's a fantastic opportunity for a young person to just have her horizons opened up as to all the potential things that you can do in life. And the same thing when you end up selecting your first job. If you select your first job at Comcast, we never want you to leave. I mean, we're going to try and keep you here for your whole career. Yep. One of our advantages is we got such a big company that we can accommodate different geographies and even different job functions right. within the early years of your career. But if you don't go to Comcast, you should keep your eyes open and you should think about whether there are other opportunities that you come across early in your career. And you shouldn't be afraid to make a different choice. I tell young people all the time, you're going to make a decision for your first job when you're 22 years old, all right? First of all, you can't make a mistake when you're 22 years old. Right. It's impossible. Right. So go with your gut. Yeah. Find something you're passionate about, a place where you're comfortable. But if you make a mistake and two or three years later, you want to go to another job, you'll be 25. Right. You can't make a mistake when you're 25 years old. So don't think you're going to be a failure. Don't think you're locking yourself in. Take advantage of the mobility that exists in the job market today and pay attention to the cultural parts of your employment. Are you comfortable? Do you like the people you work with? If you're a woman, do you see other women, both in your peer group and in more senior places in the company? If you're a person of color, are you the only person of color sitting in every meeting? These are hard to figure out in the interview process, But once you're in the job, once you're there, you should be able to figure out whether you're comfortable. These are your kind of people. You enjoy the place that you work. So I'm a known workaholic. Nobody should work like I do. Hmm. But even if you're not a workaholic, statistically, you will spend more of your waking hours at your job than you will anywhere else. And if you're not comfortable and happy in your job, you're not going to be a happy person in life. So... Please be happy in your job, and if you're not happy in your job, don't be afraid to change and to try and find some place where you're happy. If you liked hearing about David's journey, be sure to check out other inspiring episodes of Growing Greater at Radio.com, wherever you listen to your podcasts, or at SelectGreaterPHL.com slash podcast. And be sure to rate and review our podcast and share it with family and friends and colleagues and through social media too. As we wrap this episode, let's thank the team at Pico. 
advancing smart energy to provide safe, reliable, affordable, and clean energy and energy services for the customers and communities they serve. This is the focus that the professionals of PICO embrace every day. PICO's legacy, it's their long-standing commitment to a culture of excellence and to innovation and their commitment to learning and to people, their customers and communities and their employees. As the largest electric natural gas utility in Pennsylvania, the impact of the PICO team is remarkable. Not only do they serve 1.6 million electric customers and more than 500,000 natural gas customers in southeastern Pennsylvania, but their support and active engagement with community initiatives, it's omnipresent. PICO is an excellent company, and you can learn more at PICO.com. Join me in thanking PICO for supporting this podcast and for their belief in us at Select Greater Philadelphia. Growing Greater is presented by Select Greater Philadelphia, a council of the Chamber of Commerce for Greater Philadelphia. Select is the business attraction organization for Northern Delaware, Southern New Jersey, and Southeastern Pennsylvania. And it helps to grow the economic vibrancy of our collective community by attracting new businesses, jobs, and talent to our region. Special thanks to our program producers, Elena Carmazan and Maricela Juarez, along with the great team of marketing and creative services professionals at our chamber. To learn more about establishing, expanding, and growing your business or career in Greater Philadelphia, come visit us at selectgreaterphl.com.